This podcast discusses some issues some people may find distressing and upsetting. Links to Samaritans and Time to Tackle are in the description below. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week in the SPFL podcast. Today I'm joined by the well dugout and junior footballer Aaron Connolly. How are you doing, lads? Alright mate, how are you doing? Um, thanks for having me on. So, for people that may not know you, just want to talk a bit about who you are and like, the work you're doing that. Hi. Um, so, probably, you know, sort of most well-known for my mental health work, um, running a group alongside my wife called Time to Tackle. Uh, and it's a football therapy group that we, before lockdown, we were running twice a week, one in Edinburgh and one in Glasgow. Um just about promoting mental well-being, uh, physical well-being, getting people out of the house, giving them somewhere safe to go, they get a wee bit of football for an hour, uh, and then we have the opportunity to go into the room for an hour um, and just chat. You know, I think it's really important that we, we're able to talk about things that we're suffering with uh, and, and that we're not suffering in silence and definitely not suffering alone. So, yeah, probably best known for that. Um, obviously, if ended up in the news and stuff in April last year after a suicide attempt and going missing and things like that, which I'm sure we'll speak more about later. But yeah, that's probably I'm best known for. I also play uh, football and have done for many years uh, within junior football, um, now in the West of Scotland League with St Rocks and looking forward to the new season, hopefully starting in October. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll, we'll start from the start. So um, when would you say that your first experience with like mental health was? Um, so there's probably two separate answers <laughs> to this. Um, I was first diagnosed when I was 23 years old um, and I started experiencing really low mood and uh, I spent a lot of time in my that was about a four week period or so that I was just like almost felt like I was chained to my bed, like physically chained down and didn't leave the yeah. house and had a, had a period of time off work and stuff like that. And, and I was very fortunate that I had no idea what depression was back then or what mental health was back then. This, you know, we're talking five, almost six years ago now. Um, and I didn't know what it was. And I would have been the type of person back then who naively would have thought, what have you got to be depressed about? You know, just had no understanding. So I was yeah. fortunate though that my, that my wife or my fiance at the time, Siobhan, uh, was a nurse. Or, uh, and she noticed some signs in me and felt like I had to get, get medical help. So I uh, first seen my doctor and was diagnosed with depression and anxiety in 2015. Um, but going back, you know, the probably true answer to it is I first had mental health issues, you know, in, teen, in my teenage years at school. Um, yeah. Anxiety mainly. I, I thought at the time I was just really introverted and and really quiet and shy, uh, and the reality now, you know, understanding what I do now, having come through what I have and, and done a lot of studying and reading and things like that, I can really now understand that, you know, when I was 14, 15, 16, I had uh, anxiety. Um, it probably came ahead, I left school at 15 and moved through Edinburgh um, to go full-time with Hibs at the time. I thought it was following my dreams, but that's when I, looking back now, that's when I can trace my worst. Uh, and the earliest signs of mental health issues for me, you know, I was dodging training. Uh, I found it really difficult in social situations in the changing room. I found it difficult to speak to people, my peers and things like that. 
and I would go home and cry and I just felt really uneasy around the time uh, and I started, you know, as I say, dodging training and things and, and looking back, as I say, um, that's when I think my mental health issues probably started and, and went untreated for many years uh, and even when I got the diagnosis, you know, a diagnosis just allows you to label it, it doesn't teach you how to treat it, so I had many years of battling after that. So, would you maybe say it was just sort of like, maybe like insecurities and stuff like that, like at school, maybe worrying what people thought of you and that, which sort of triggered it yeah. at first? Yeah, that was, that's a huge mm. part of it, you know, insecurity, really low self-esteem, you know, yeah. I think we all go through that at a certain age, of course. I yeah. Think. Mm-hmm. We all go through in adulthood. We worry a lot about what other people think of us, right? And I think that's a totally natural thing to feel. But mm-hmm. when I was considering that, it would get to the point where I always speak. I speak about this quite often, and I always, you know, remember back to this. But I would, I would remember being sitting in maths class and making a mistake in my in my jaw, and then seeing a rubber in the person's desk next to me. And I know this person. I'd be scared to ask for that rubber because my anxiety would just not allow me to get the words out almost. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of it stemmed from insecurity, low self-esteem, uh, you know, all of that sort of stuff, so cocktailing together um, and just made, and, and I don't doubt that a lot of kids go through that at school, but when I was coming through school 14 or 15 years ago, you know, we didn't, it wasn't openly spoken about what that was, anxiety, I didn't, I probably didn't know what the word anxiety was back then, I certainly didn't know what depression was, so... Yeah, it was just I just told myself I was weird, and then when you start telling yourself things like that, like you're weird, you're shy, you know, when you start almost beating up on yourself and beating yourself up a little bit, it just makes it a yeah. little bit harder to recover from. So, I think that was probably the earliest signs, and, and yeah, that's the sort of behaviours that I, put, I took. You know, I didn't speak to anyone about it because I, 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 I wouldn't have even known who I should have spoken to then, to be honest. And uh, you just label yourself and. and decide that you're a shy weirdo and that, that was basically how I felt at times and, and it got worse when I left school. Mm. So uh, you mentioned about uh, obviously going and playing for Hibs and that and then like dodging, like uh, sorry, dodging trains, things like that. So do you think that was maybe, do you think that well has like, an effect maybe you going professional and that, things like that? I mean I think... <laughs> It pr- I probably did, of course I did. Um, yeah. I, try not to f- I try not to focus on it too much. I try not yeah. to blame uh, other yeah, factors for what happened in my football career. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. was a kid. I was a kid and I was in a difficult yeah. spot. I was living 50 miles away from home in a flat with another teenager. It was tough and uh, I, I didn't adapt it well. I didn't, I didn't speak about it and I say this quite often to, you know, I speak to kids and stuff now, you know. I didn't talk about what was happening in my mind. I didn't talk about how I felt. And I, and what it led to was me almost imploding a little bit where I ended up, I went in one day about three or four months in my contract and I just asked the club to cancel it. And I walked away from Easter Road that day and I never went back. Uh, and I never played football for a period of time. And then I sort of pieced my life back together. I went homeless for a period of time, which I'm not spoken about a great deal, but I spent some time homeless in a, in a homeless unit after that because I didn't go back to my family. And again, a lot of that was because of how I perceived what other people would think of me yeah. and, and an ability to tell them how I really felt. Um, so I made a lot of difficult decisions and I wasn't at an age where I should have been making these decisions. Um, and a lot of that was done because I couldn't, figure out what was happening in my mind and I, I couldn't relay that to people so I've no doubt it impacted me I've no doubt it impacted my adult life but also 
I got an opportunity at United and I played, you know, in every division other than the Premier League. I've played in the Scottish Cup and I played in the, the League Cup and things like that. Like I still had an opportunity, I sort of carved yeah. out and it, it didn't last very long. But you know, I've done a lot of things that kids would aspire to do. So I try and look back on it fondly yeah. as opposed to beat myself up for what happened. And, and it was all a learning curve. I had to grow up really quick, you know. Like I say, I moved out at 15. I've never been home since. So I'm now, you know, just turned 29. So I've learned a lot in that time. And as I say, I don't, I don't like to beat myself up for the decisions I made when I was a kid. I was yeah. quite faced with a difficult situation and I dealt with it as best I can and I wouldn't change anything because I'm here today uh, I've got an amazing family I've had my difficulties but I've also had a good life Yeah uh, So we'll just go on to obviously the things that sort of came in to the news and that about your suicide attempt so in an interview you said about like the only thing stopped you was just sort of I don't even know what to call it, an out-of-body experience, should we say? It was yeah. like, yeah, it was like, I don't know, spirit, um, I don't know if you believe in like spiritual stuff and that, but it was some sort of experience like that, where you were just, you were just ready to end your life, and then I think it was, you heard your son shouting on you or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah, looking back at it here. So <coughs> that must have been quite a serial experience, really. I, it's really difficult to explain without people instantly thinking it's some sort of spiritual or, or out-of-body experience. I, I've used those yeah. things myself. I'm not entirely sure how to explain the moment. I think what I can say is leading up to the point where you believe that taking your own life is the only way to, to ease the pain. Uh, yeah. Your mind takes you to some really dark, difficult places. and. And you're not living in reality at that moment. Or I certainly didn't feel like I was in reality as I reflect on it. Sorry, I get upset when I talk about this every time. I don't know what it is. Um, it's, uh, you're robbed of your senses a little bit. You're robbed of, yeah. you see, any reality. You're not, my mind wasn't functioning in the way that it should have been for me. And mm-hmm. I'd had a period where I was struggling for a couple of weeks and I had a really intense couple of days. And when I made the decision, um, you know, when I, I tried to, you know, complete suicide, your mind's not there with you properly. You're so focused on that. You, you beat yourself to such a place that that feels like the only option. Now, if you can imagine that for a second, like if you imagine how bad, how awful that feels. Yeah. To feel like the only way out is to end your life. Like that's a horrible mm. thing to say, it's a horrible yeah. interview, so 100%. something, I can only, I can only now say that something in my mind broke that cycle of thought, and what it was, I don't know, and I don't know how it happened, but what it came across to me as, is it was my son shouting on me, I heard it, or I, th- I thought I heard it, that yeah. was just something that broke my chain, I thought broke the cycle I was in, and it just allowed me for a split second, you know, I firstly missed the opportunity to step out in front of the oncoming train, thankfully. Um, but it just allowed me for a little bit to say, what, wow, how have I ended up at this point? Where, you know, I, I still had all the thoughts and feelings of harm and, and hatred for myself and, and feeling like I just wanted this pain and struggle to go away. But now what I had was a counteracting thought saying that this probably isn't fair on your way for your son, so. 
yeah. I don't know what it was, and it's very difficult to explain or put into words, but that's the best way I can do it. It was something that broke the cycle, and it, for me, it just happened to be like I held my son, Joe, and daddy at me, and it just broke that, that thought process for a while and allowed me to then reconsider the situation. Now, what I'd done after that was I still was all over the place, you know, my mind was still over the place. I still really felt like the only way out for me was to end it, but I also now felt like. I had to try and keep myself safe while I figured out what was happening in my mind. And I've spoken about it loads, but I went like a mini bus tour of Scotland. I spent time in Aberdeen. I was just trying to stay in public to stay safe until I, until I decided what my next step was. Yeah, uh, I'd read when you were done an interview, I think it was with the BBC, you done an interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember I was thinking of reading, and um, yeah, just as you said there, like, and just as you said there, like, you really, you knew it wasn't, like, the right option, but, like, your mind was taken to this sort of horrible place, so, really. Yeah, I think that, I think that's no one wanted I think, to go. I think I was, reality was gone for a while in my mind. And <laughs> yeah. I, I think what, I, I had a little sense of reality, but what I sort of realised that, despite everything telling me that completing suicide was what I should do at that time, Mm-hmm. And it was now just this little niggling thought and it's so so important and it's so important when you're challenging any negative thoughts that you challenge them I now had that challenge and thought and I, I wasn't sure where I was going to lead and like I say went a mini bus tour I, I was lost in my mind for hours I think I was missing for about 16 or 17 hours yeah um, and for that whole time you know I was pretty much lost in my own mind trying to piece my full life together like just I'm sure you can imagine going over everything that ever happened to me, all the feelings, all the thoughts, all the mistakes, all the bad things that I'd done. And, and I don't know what my next step would have been, fortunately. The decision was taken out of my hands when the police got me. Yeah. And took me to hospital. So fortunately for me, I'm very, very grateful for that, that eventually, you know, the police got a hold of me after, you know, this search and, and the massive social media drive and stuff. So I'm so grateful for that. I was taken to hospital and then... And then that's when the real recovery started almost, you know. You spend four weeks in hospital in a psychiatric unit, so it was a really, really difficult experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, obviously, when the news sort of broke out, um, it went viral, and you got a lot of support, but at the time, did you sort of fear people's reactions? I would say for the first week or so, I didn't. So I remember... Being in hospital, uh, being taken to Levendale, the psychiatric hospital. No, I didn't get to, I got taken to the Royal Infirmary maybe about 7 o'clock on the Saturday night. I didn't get to Levendale until about 4am on the Sunday morning. Having sat next to an emergency, gone through a whole load of checks. You know, spoken to numerous people about what was, well, they made the decision about what to do. When I got to Levendale, you know, for the first week I was there, I was traumatised by what had happened. Like, I can genuinely say I was traumatised. Like, yeah, I was barely sleeping. I was physically shaking. And, you know, my wife would back this up. I was physically like shaking, vibrating for a full week because I was just living in such trauma. Um, <clears throat> and I still, the suicidal thoughts were still there. They didn't just go either. So yeah, that 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 was really tough. So I didn't consider then. I, I remember getting claimed. I remember being basically made unconscious the first night. Get, pumped full of diazepam just so I would relax and sleep 
and I woke up next morning, I think because I'd known that it'd been all over Twitter and things, I think I just put a little post up to basically say thanks to everyone for looking, thanks to everyone for the support from my family. Uh, I'm safe and I now need to concentrate on recovering or something. And that went pretty, like, that went crazy as well. And it was, yeah. I didn't consider how people were thinking about me for a, a few days. But then as I started to come round and probably started to do the work with psychologists and with the doctors, I started to sort of regain, almost regain consciousness. I, I did, I really did start to worry about what people were maybe thinking. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'd spoken openly about mental health before, but I'd never spoken openly about trying to end my life and ending up in a psychiatric unit. And I think there's a stigma. Firstly, there's a stigma of mental health and there's a shame attached to it. And it's getting better, but it's still there, and a lot of people find that difficult. Mm-hmm. But there definitely is, is there is definitely a shame of being a psychiatric like, There is a shame attached to being in a psychiatric unit. Most people still call them loony bins to this day and things like that. Mm-hmm. So those sort of thoughts were in my mind where people are going to think I'm in this loony bin in a straight jacket. Now, it's absolutely not like that. It's a difficult environment, but, you know, it's also some really great people. So I was worried yeah. about what people would think now because I'd been consigned to this place and I'd been sectioned, and you hear the word sectioned and people instantly fit, are taken aback. So, yeah, I probably worried about that for a while. But very quickly, you know, the support and the outpouring of support probably took that away when I started to realise that People are empathetic. People, people don't don't even know me were reaching out and and just passing on the best wishes and stuff. And, and you quickly realise that yes, you get a slimmer of negativity. I've had it across the last few months. Yeah, um, I've had some horrible comments, but for ninety nine point nine percent, people care. People like to help other people. People don't want to see other people in bad situations. So, yeah, so there was worries, but they were negated fairly quickly by by the love and support of the people closest to me and the people, you know, out there and on social media and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, after, like, after you said about how you get such a positive response to, to your situation, did that sort of give you, like, a new sort of lookout in life, maybe make you, you realise, you know, you're not the only one in this situation and you can fight it and through your experiences you could also help other people? That probably didn't come until later on, if I'm being fairly honest. The, mm-hmm. I, there's a couple of moments in hospital where I kind of knew, and it was because I knew myself and I knew my family. I'd spoken about two separate days. There was a day where I was allowed outside for the first time after being locked, locked in the ward for almost two weeks. And they let me go outside and it was sunny. Uh, that day I knew I was grateful. And that's when I knew I had to take control. And then the next day, my wee boy was allowed, to, and I'd seen my wee boy pretty much every day, but he was allowed to come down and we were allowed outside for an hour. So I was allowed to mm-hmm. run about with him properly. And again, the sun was shining and we had a wee football and we played football and we played hide and seek. And, and being able to be a father again for the first time, really, in a couple of weeks, probably longer than that, because before I went to the hospital, I was so lost. Uh, those two moments, like the love and the understanding I got from my wife and son and my family, that helped probably more. Um, yeah. And then latterly, you know, coming out of hospital, speaking about it quite a lot, doing things like this on podcasts, and I think I posted every month or so on the 26th. The support I get from that, that definitely helps. And just seeing people and speaking to people and see, seeing people who'd been in similar situations and now we're a bit in a better place, 
that yeah. gave me a lot of hope and that's why I speak about it quite often because I, I want to try and help give other people that little bit of hope that things do get better so I think yeah. initially it was probably the strength of the team from my family but certainly and I know we're probably going to talk about it, but the post that you know sort of year on all the outpouring of support from them that definitely gives me a little lift and makes me feel like I'm on the right path now and I'm aware yeah. of the, the potential dangers but of slipping back into it but I'm on the right path just as you mentioned there, that post that you made uh, on social media on the 26th, uh, a year after uh, your suicide attempt, that's, um, that just sort of got you like, a lot more outpour, because this went, I think it got somewhere like 40,000 likes and like 5,000 retweets, something like that. And yeah. uh, obviously, uh, yeah, it blew up. I've, I've seen, I remember just uh, when it went viral, because I'd heard about like, uh, your situation and that before. And um, I mean, I just I think on Facebook it went viral, like as well. I think somebody I, I don't know who it was then, but I think somebody screenshotted the tweet and then like they posted it on Facebook, and then that went yeah. viral because I seen what like, people in my friends list and that sharing it and all that, and um, and then that got like more people sort of knew about your situation who we didn't know before, like, and you just get a great response from that as well from once again strangers and that. So how did that make you feel, like, you know, just the um, of, like, love that you got and support? I get, uh, the numbers on that were crazy now. Yeah. The numbers on my social media are irrelevant in, in reality. If one person seen it, then that would have been enough that one person seen it and took hope from it. I think how yeah. it made me feel <coughs> emotional, man. Like, honestly, for a couple of days, I was emotional around that period anyway. I'd built up this year anniversary so much for a few months. Like every, as I say, every month I was building up to getting closer to the year anniversary. Yeah. And what I actually wanted to do and couldn't because the lockdown was I wanted to go back to the, the train station and sort of do the post from there just to sort of close the chapter on it a little bit. But COVID happened and the lockdown stopped that. Yeah. I'd built up to it and I knew it. So I, I, was, I was emotional while posting that, but I felt like I wanted to get it out. I wanted to show people how far I'd come. Yeah, and also it kind of closed the chapter on it a wee bit for myself to say to pretend it and say, look, that's me a year on. It's really time to try and move on for this, and, and it'll always be a fabric in my life. But I try and be a lot more positive now, and things. the The numbers were insane. Like honestly, my phone was burning up at points. Yeah, it, it wasn't the likes and the retweets. Like it was the comments and the DMs mm-hmm. and the amount of people. And it was, and as much as I love people saying to me, I'm proud of you, well done, and things like that, it was the people coming to me and saying, oh my God, seeing this has helped me get through today. And I had so much of that. Yeah. Or the people coming to me and saying, oh, I've seen this, I've went through your Twitter, and I phoned my doctor, and things like that. I had a guy from Australia message me and say something along the lines of, seeing this post on the other side of the world has just helped me survive today. I had to see this today. It, Thinking that me, you know, just a guy from Glasgow, normal guy, yeah, who's had these tough times, but like I'm no different to anyone else. Thinking I could make an impact like that on anyone, let alone a guy on the other side of the world who was struggling. Yeah, that to me was amazing, and that's the power of social media for me. Like, media gets a bit of a hard time sometimes, but I think yeah, it's also from in the last 15, 16 months of my life and even before that, it's been so powerful. There's so many amazing people out there who you can connect with at the drop of a the drop of a message and it 
I've met some amazing friends. I've had some amazing opportunities. Even doing things like this, like you message me on Twitter, you know what I mean? Like the opportunities and stuff are endless. Uh, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to still be here today. Yeah. My life could have been so different. Uh, and I'm so grateful for everyone's support. And, and that's why I say it all the time, but that's why it's so important to talk about this because for every one person, and I got it in that post and I posted about it, a guy posted messaged me and said I was attention seeking and he actually told me I should go die you know you get yeah. that but yeah. for everyone you get hundreds upon hundreds of people who are right behind you right in your corner and, and with us with mental health it's so broad there's so many things people are struggling with and you know people are struggling with you look at lockdown people are struggling with so much right yeah. now you know 100%. people need to hear and they need to know like we care we care we're in your corner Mm -hmm. other people in your corner people will beat your back if you just let them know that you're not feeling good so ever since like this uh, you know your suicide attempt happened and then you know it's out there um i think you mentioned it was sort of a few months into your re recovery that you decided that you know you wanted to do work for mental health awareness so yeah. now you now I think, uh, as you said earlier, you've got your own thing, time to tackle, yeah. and like you do a lot of work for like, mental health. So how to really, how to make you feel on that now, like you're helping people who were in like, a similar situation to you. That's right, I know you're going. Um, yeah, I think the key. I always kind of knew. I first spoke about mental health in 2018. I wrote an article for the 90 Minutes in the time, and I knew back then that one day I wanted to help people and one day and I also knew that football would be how I would try and do it. It took me it took me a couple of years to get there, or a year and a bit to get there because just where my life was. But time to tackle was in my mind for a while. And had it not been again for my amazing wife sitting me down one night and basically saying to me, Look, it's time to stop talking about helping people and just do it. And we sat down on the couch one night and we said What's the idea, right? We want to give people, we want to get people together by telling them to play football, because every, not everyone loves football, but you know, football is number one sport in this country. I love it. My wife loves yeah. it slightly less so because it takes up a lot of my time, but it's <laughs> probably on the telly too much and stuff like that. But she she understands the power of it and it gets people together. Uh, and what we wanted to do differently was to say, we're not just going to let, like, playing football would be great for you to your mind of things, but what we want to do is to get you together as peers, so we bring everyone into the room and we just talk and we make it an environment where talking about your mental health, talking about anything, and by the way, most of the time we talk nonsense for the hour, like it's not like a traditional support group, but what people who come know is if you are struggling with something and it's the same with our group chats and everything else, you can see yeah. it in there, you won't be judged, you'll get instant help and support, and that's what, exactly what we wanted to create. We started in October uh, and it quickly grew arms and legs, and it means we want just both love doing it we love getting out unfortunately we've not been able to be covid but we're, yeah. we're coming back soon we love getting out we love connecting with people and that's something i've learned about myself over this last period of time is that i love speaking to people and you've noticed tonight i speak a lot like i love talking i love listening yeah. to stories i love hearing what people have overcome like that the power that people the power and strength people have within them that they don't even realize it just makes me feel so good and if I can play a small part in that, amazing. But 
most of these people are, are surviving themselves. We're just giving them somewhere where they can come and feel safe and they can meet friends and and they can they can enjoy themselves. And we play football and we don't keep scores and and we take all the rubbish side side of football out where you know the yeah. performance and caring about the score and caring about how well we play. Like you just come and play to take the tackle because you come and have fun. Yeah, and then we put on a wee bit of soup and some biscuits and that after for you. And in terms of the mental health awareness, like I just think it's going so well, and people, so many people are out there pushing the message. I just think we need to make these conversations normal. It yeah. just needs to be normal to be able to say, "I don't feel good," or "I've got this going on," or "I just don't feel it today." And until that's normal, then we need to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing the message. Shouldn't even have to hashtag stuff like mental health awareness. Do you know what I mean? Like the very yeah, fact it's got a label because we need to push it so much. You know, we just need to get it out there. So I've done lots of things in the last year and a bit. You know, I've walked overnight three or four times, like 30, 40 miles at a time. Yeah. I ran, I ran a random marathon one day myself, just to raise awareness. I think I'd done forty miles and forty hours over a weekend and barely slept and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's lots of other things coming up. We've done charity matches and all that. If someone comes and says to me, I'm doing a mental health thing, and that, can you help me? Can you get involved? Can you help it? My likelihood is if I, if I have the time and I can fit it in, then I'll do it. Because if, if people want to give their time to, to help and spread the message of something that's so important, then I think we should absolutely get behind them. And, and, and by the way, I love challenging myself. Like I'm climbing Ben Nevis at, at the end of August. Mm-hmm. And again, I've never climbed a mountain or a hill in my life. I'm just gonna go do it. So I love the challenge of it, and if I can yeah. use that, if I can use that wee challenge to sort of say to people, I'm out climbing Ben Nevis, so you can send a text message, check in, and your mate, then that's exactly what I'll do. Actually, see how just when you mentioned about like the, uh, like the walks and all that you've done, I think um, a few, I think February. I mean, you've probably seen by my profile picture and that that uh, I'm a Hamilton Aki's fan. Yeah. Um, and I think, I'm pretty sure I've seen this in your Twitter. Uh, you were doing a walk, Aki, you were playing Celtic in February, Aye. I think. And you just walked so we walked it. Aye. Was it Parkhead to New Douglas Park you went? Yeah, Aye, so we set um, off, I think we left Parkhead, Celtic Park, about half eight or something in the morning. We mm-hmm. walked to New Douglas Park. And uh, by the way, <laughs> it was pouring down the whole way. <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, so, sorry, on you go. Oh. Thank you. Uh, pouring the no way, we get so, I think about 40 or 50, 45 of us or something done that that day. Um, so mm-hmm. that was me and that. Uh, just, again, just, we had connected with a guy, Lee Adams, Walk and Talk, check him out on Twitter, Walk and Talk MMH, so what they do, um, I'll quickly tell the story, so basically we connected with Lee, and uh, Lee walked as a Fulham fan, and he walked from... Uh, like they were watched away games and back again. And, uh, so on New Year, New Year's Eve, I went down and walked from Reading to Fulham, which is 44 miles, 16 and a half hours overnight. Oh, and it's walking talk. So the whole thing is about getting out, walking, great, yeah. exercise, and talking, and, and again, just normalise the conversation, raising, raising awareness. So we decided we'd want to try and bring it to Scotland. So we done. Celtic to Aki's was like a little short one. We got 45 people involved. I then done uh, Livingston to Rangers, which was 36 miles, I think, again overnight. And when we got yeah, to Aki, the weather still. was that bad. The, the game got cancelled because there was a storm. <laughs> oh. So we walked, we walked in a storm overnight. 
to raise awareness and and the game get cancelled. And then two and a half weeks later, we done Celtic Park to Levy for the midweek game. So we left Celtic Park about half three in the morning and walked all the way to Livingston. And we hopefully have some more planned once it's safe to do so. But I think like, I, I like doing things like that. I think it's important. It, helps yeah. get a message. it catches people's attention when you say, I'm walking 44 miles overnight for 16 hours. And they say, why are you doing that? And you can tell them why. I think it's so important. Mm. I think, actually, uh, when you were doing uh, that walk to Knuckles Park, uh, there's like, I think, I can't remember where it was shot, it was like, next to, um, I think it was in Blantyre, next to the Blantyre Asda, and um, I mm-hmm. think, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if you had planned to stop, yeah, but you had stopped yeah, there, I think it's really had a rest that. stop there, eh? Yeah, and uh, thing is, I remember, because uh, I was getting the bus to the game from the bus stop, but like, just like, right outside, outside, like, Next to you, and I, remember, I was sitting there like, because it just it seemed a bit random at the time. I was like, because you, you know, got all the bags and that. And then I went on to Twitter after the game, and I'd realised that it was for like, like your charities and that. I was like, oh, I, <laughs> it, I made it stop at them Yeah, yeah, mm. uh, it was good. That was a good one. The turnout that day was amazing because yeah. the weather was awful. So to get like four, I think it was forty-five people in that region. Yeah, that, that, that was definitely quite a few. And I think that shows as well, like that shows the power of this, it shows how important this is when you get that many people turning out because me and Siobhan just came up with an idea and decided let's walk for Celtic to Hamlet. So yeah. I think it shows how important it is to people, it shows how much work and by there's a lot of amazing things out there, you know, in Scotland, a lot of amazing groups and stuff kicking off and mm-hmm. a lot of amazing people out there doing so much work who deserve the limelight as well to to be able to speak and tell people what they're doing. I just think anyone who wants to give their time to helping other people and helping those in their community just deserve all the credit in the world. So uh, I suppose we'll wrap up and sort of, uh, we've spoken a lot about like, your mental health and that. So we'll close on sort of a more positive sort of topic. So obviously you're now back playing football after everything's happened. It's with the uh, St. Rock's Juniors, is it? Yeah. How you say that, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, just what's it like just being back, you know, playing football, doing what you love? I so, when I went to the hospital, in my hospital stay, I was basically saying, I'm done. I told my wife, like, I didn't want to go back to football. Yeah. <laughs> football for me was always like, uh, I was always disappointed. It was, it was a real big bugbear of mine over the years because I always felt like, like we said at the start, I always felt like I should have or could have done more and I blamed a lot of things and all that. Mm-hmm. I lost the love of it, I think, for a long period of time and never ever, I got it got it back in like fits and bursts, but never probably got it fully back. Um, yeah. But when it, while I was in hospital, uh, John Conley was a manager at Fault House at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was been, he'd been such a support for me over the years anyway. And he eventually managed to talk me into not chucking it, not putting the boots up and coming back out. So got to the hospital and I went straight to, straight into pre-season training pretty much. I think we went away every holiday and I went straight back into pre-season at Falthouse. And mm-hmm. I just started to, I just made the decision I'm going to play football because I want to play it, not because I'm being forced into it, not because I feel like I should. And uh, I'm just going to enjoy it and I loved it. I just, it was so good to be back. I remember mm-hmm. scoring for the first time and all the emotion that came with that after being in hospital and everything I'd been through. 
and I'd had some bad injuries over the years as well, so it was just yeah. nice to get back out and be injury free and be sort of feeling better mentally. And, and then, you know, the turn of the year, turned a bit sour at all, just the manager left and stuff, and so Rocks may not be aware of them, but they're uh, based, you know, in Garngad, like Royston, basically northeast of Glasgow. It's, it's a rough, mm-hmm. pretty deprived area, I'm sure that people don't mind me saying it, but what's the Rocks are, just a community hub, they're so good. They yeah. put so much back into the community. They give the community a football club to support. Um, there's a very obvious Celtic connection, and I'm a Celtic fan. I'd, I'd nearly signed for St Ops for about four or five years, and when the opportunity came in March, I just thought, this is the time to do it. And the great thing about it is, like, I'm there because I want to play football and enjoy it, and I think that's the perfect environment to do so. Mm-hmm. But I think also, you know, we're going to be doing some work you know, tying some rocks and time to tackling together and doing some work in the community, you know, with the club and, and my my support group. So it's going to give me the opportunity to make a difference in somewhere else. And I am really excited for all of it. Obviously, there's this new West of Scotland League, so it's a bit new for everyone. And we're yeah. in the pyramid now, and it, there's, everyone's going to be really pushing to try and have success this season to set themselves up for potential long-term success. So it's an exciting time. It's not... It's different to the old juniors, where it was just the same leagues and the same teams every week, and it probably become a little bit stale. So it's nice to have the opportunity to, to experience something a bit different. Some different clubs and stuff are being put together. So I'm looking forward to getting back and and just getting back and, as I say, playing football for the love of it now. Like, yeah. Um, in terms of football age, like after all the injuries and time I've had away for the game, like I've not got long left. You know, fair mm-hmm. next year, but my wee boys now growing up and I'm coaching him and stuff and I don't know how how many years I've got left in me in terms of time so I just want to go out and enjoy playing again and play with Michael on my face Yeah, so uh, I think we'll probably wrap up there we've got through everything so once again, and I'd just like to thank you for coming on, talking about your experience, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I wish you all the best no, Thank you so much and um, all the best with podcasting if you ever need anything, just, just let me know. Mm.